Hello, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr and you're listening to episode 59 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. This is my podcast where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. And this week I've got a cracker, an interview with the great Ross Edgeley, conducted aboard Hecate, his home for the last five months. The night before he returned to Margate in triumph to complete the incredible feat of swimming around Great Britain, which is what he's been doing for the last five months. Now, I've got to admit, the first time I heard about Ross's swim back in June, I think I even put it in my newsletter, my initial thought was no chance. It just seemed too vast an undertaking to to even contemplate, let alone accomplish proper tilting at windmills territory. But then like many thousands Hundreds of thousands and eventually millions of people have become completely hooked on the whole thing and the adventures of Ross, Matt Knight and the crew of Hecate as the months have unfolded have been compulsory viewing for me really on the uh, vlog series they've been doing on YouTube. Now first contacted Red Bull who appear to have been the main backers of this whole thing back in July and in the intervening months have been chatting to them about trying to snag an interview as it became clear that not only was he going to pull it off but he was going to do so in the same unflaggingly positive and inspirational manner that's been the hallmark of the whole journey. So it came to pass that the guys at Red Bull came through, arranging for me to spend an hour with Ross the day before the big finish, and also to take part in the big celebratory swim flotilla of 300 people that accompanied Ross to the beach in Margate to cap the final leg. Now, spending time on Hecate and meeting Ross and the crew really was a privilege. The sense of camaraderie and achievement on board was was palpable, really. And I'm happy to report that Ross is the same welcoming and incredibly upbeat individual he appears to be. Yep, the hype is real with this one. And I'm, uh, I'm happy to say during my time on board, we were really able to get into this whole thing. Now, I figure that I'm once again stretching the definition of my tagline, the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours, and possibly causing a bit of confusion among a few listeners who've signed up for Machado, Todd Richards and the like, and are now like, I thought this was an action sports podcast. Why is this guy interviewing some swimmer? But here's where that other related endeavours thing, which I've fallen back on more than once, comes into play. And I hope if you're a regular listener, you're kind of getting the gist of where I'm going with the podcast. And as such, an interview with a guy who just swam around the coast of Great Britain, it does bear repeating, is absolutely fair game for this show. One of the main bits of feedback I do get from people is always, I'm so glad I listened to that interview with X. I'd never even heard of him, but it was brilliant. It was as good as all the ones I've ever heard of. Now, if, if that is you and you only really listen to the Surf or Snow ones, for example, then I really, really urge you to check this one out. And join me as I pay homage to Ross and his legendary achievement. There really are too many good quotes to mention in this one. If you followed the whole thing, as I say, like I have from start to finish, you're going to love it. So yeah, that's enough from me anyway. Without further ado, here it is, me with Ross Edgley on the Great British Swim. Enjoy. I'm with Ross. How you doing? I'm well. So have you been up to anything interesting? <laughs> um, I had the terrible idea, Matt, uh, to try and swim around Great Britain. Um, and five months later, still trying. <laughs> yeah. Well, the end is literally in sight. We are 
on Hecate, is that how you say it? That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, Matt Knight's boat off uh, just moored off Margate. And this is the, like, kind of, what have you got left? You must have, like, a little mile left. 1.8 miles One left. Point. I know exactly how long. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we timed it perfectly because tomorrow, um, 7 o'clock in the morning, going to do, like, that final mile. And then it, it only seemed right to finish this with a human flotilla of yeah. swimmers. So that's why we've left 1.8 miles. Although we could see Margate, I, resist, I resisted the temptation to, to carry on swimming. And uh, yeah, so we're going to do the final final mile with everybody swimming in. So, so that's tomorrow morning. Yeah. And you've got what three hundred swimmers going to join you? I think so. Yeah, a few paddle boards. Um, the Royal Marines are coming down with some some kayaks as well. Right. So all just going to arrive on to, to Margate Beach, which is uh, as you can see, I can't stop smiling because it's just like now I can see Margate. It yeah. just feels feels so weird. We must. I guess it must be difficult to sort of sink in really because I've been watching the whole thing. And it, the last bit seems to have gone almost quite quickly. Like, since, I don't know how it felt for you, but I was a bit like, wow, like it's, it's like next week it's going to happen. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Certainly, I mean, I think that was partly because of the tides and currents going around the Norfolk coast there. We did get a lot it of help. It pushed you around, did it? Um, but yeah, I think what 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 happened for so long is every single swim and every single tide i was always very conscious that you had to pace yourself you know it's 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 a marathon not a sprint or in this case it's a swim around great britain not a marathon yeah. and, and so i was always aware that you had to nurse your body all, all the way round whereas I think once we hit that Norfolk coast, right, it was like, wow, we can. Well, it's going to happen. Kind of a sprint finish. Yeah, yeah. You know, for the North. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, how far have you done? Um, Matt will know the exact as the captain. Matt, um, I'm looking do, at do, it now. Do, do, do I pass in the mic quickly. Matt, Matt wh- where are we? Where are we at? In total mileage. Yeah. Um, uh, when I was looking at the stats uh, a couple of nights ago, when we were still in the middle of the Thames Estuary, it was fifteen hundred and eight. Mild. And, yeah, and um, so uh, we've done about 14 since then, so that takes us to 15.22 or something, does it? Or something, so, um, and then uh, 1.87 to do. Right. So, uh, yeah. Amazing. And um, five months, basically. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and do you mind just quickly <laughs> explaining, because I'm really familiar with it because I've watched it, but just for the benefit of people that listen to this that, that don't know the details, could you could you just quickly explain the, the routine? Because that's what this has been, hasn't it? This has been basically a yeah. daily routine. Yeah, yeah. So in theory, the tide changes every six hours. Yeah. So as long as you're prepared to swim day or night, doesn't matter. As soon as the tide changes, you swim. So if you do six hours on in the water and then six hours to to eat, sleep, recover, and then do six hours on again, you get 12 hours throughout the day in theory. Um, And in theory, you just repeat that until you swim around Great Britain. Yeah. I always stress the theory part because so much can happen. And, um, you know, from from sea life intervening, from tides to weather, we've had two storms uh, to contend with. So... Looking at it, when I set off on June the 1st, uh, me and Matt caught up and and had everything planned in theory. Right. And then there was just this element of just completely adapting, you know, any any given day, tide, hour, to whatever kind of kind of came around. So. You make it sound really matter-of-fact, though. You're a bit like, yeah, you know, it's just like 12 hours a day that you can do for like five <laughs> months swimming. <laughs> and And what's been interesting about watching this whole thing is that I'm almost having watched it a bit like yeah that's normal you know you know what i mean like <laughs> like it is very physically and mentally out there i think yeah. for most people as as a as something to even 
come up with the idea of it really you know so where how long have you guys been planning this and where did the idea originally kind of come from yeah i mean once we had an amazing summer it was kind of just you just got to run with it i can't remember who said it now but there was a famous quote that i always loved which was you know jump and build your wings on the way down and i think there's certainly an element of this for all the planning and prep that you could have done yeah there was a moment where me and matt looked at each other and just went we just we just got to go june the first we're just gonna go right and and, and then that's and i think to, to your point matt on trying to normalize it you know and, and and i always said you know find normality in abnormal places is just because i've often said swimming is is you know a, a sport participated in by millions and and they all they always understand it takes place in a 25 meter pool under these conditions and these controlled parameters yeah whereas with this it it took swimming and just went completely outside of those realms and i think that's why it's it's been so interesting to speak to to sailors and, and people of um, you know surf community as well, and they understand that what we've done is taken swimming, but just done it in an environment where you know quite often boats won't necessarily go. You yeah. Know? So you look at like the Irish Sea, where you know people have lost their lives in the Irish Sea. So yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a place where you almost you were swimming on hallowed ground. You were like, wow, like you had a, such respect for the for the sea. So when when sometimes people say you say it as a matter of fact, or you're quite nonchalant about it, it's, I think it's because. You have to try and normalise it to try and um, take swimming away from a sport and look at more as an adventure. Well, that that seems to have been the the message in inverted commas of the whole thing, really. Like, for, if if I'm right, that you can normalise this kind of activity, and it it almost seems that you, you've been approaching this as like normal's where you place it, really. You yeah, know, like yeah. it, 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 what might be normal to me is obviously different from somebody else but you can you can choose where that is yeah is that, is that yeah. kind of fair to say yeah, or is yeah. that something that you've you've kind of realized as as you've gone on i think you're right in that we all have it doesn't matter who's listening and what your level of ability is in sport or adventure it doesn't matter we all have this habitual level so for some people uh, a 10k will be their habitual level what they're used to doing you know uh, running a 10k it might be um running half a marathon it might be a marathon it doesn't matter what it is and all it is is you're just trying to load your body above its habitual level so what it's used to doing and the body's so adaptable that it will find a way to make that its new habitual level homeostasis your body wants homeostasis so uh, going off on a little bit of a tangent here but a lot of people outside of the sports science community were looking at this saying um, are you not worried you're, you might cause permanent damage to your body I'm like absolutely and we consulted with medical professionals and everything before we did this and throughout however and I'm going off on a tangent so I'm going to apologise no no but, not at all um, 1936 Hans Selye a Hungarian physician coined the general adaptation syndrome so he found that by taking a lab full of rats he gave these rats a lethal dose of poison they killed over and died he then found by giving them a small dose of poison a little bit more a little bit more that they built up an intolerance to this and then that same lethal dose of poison that killed the previous rats was actually okay and they could tolerate it Hansel, you then found that stress and stimuli is the key to adaptation. Emphasis on the word stress. Um, and he basically created these indestructible rats that were impervious to, to poison. The strength and conditioning community then caught on to this and found that it was the same principle, that the body adapts through stress and stimuli. But I think, and that bonds all sports, all yeah. adventures, everybody. Training. Exactly. Progression. But for so long now, I think the fitness industry because of this kind of marketing war, it's very nice to say now, 
you know, get fit in five easy, five easy steps or vibrate yourself fitter, no exercise required. Yeah, yeah. No one wants to say, um, get fitter in five months for a lot of stress and stimuli. Because yeah. no one's going to buy that, you know, magazine. Sure. And so, so coming back to, to normalizing, you know, your habitual level, I think for anybody listening, just know that whether you run, you cycle, it doesn't matter. Your body is crazy adaptable and and will find a way if you keep subjecting it to stress and stimuli in a controlled environment. I'm not just saying, you know, go and run a marathon, an ultramarathon straight off the bat, but like you said, progressive overload, which we've known for hundreds of years, you gradually increase the the weight, stress, stimuli, pace, intensity of your training, your body will normalize it. That will be its new habitual level. So the next question, which is something I really want to ask you about this, how did that match up to your expectations? Because when you when you planned this, you must have had an idea of where that normal new normal was going to be. But then from watching it, what's been apparent is there's been a lot of things in this. I mean, you mentioned weather, you know, yeah. but there's been a lot of physical things that have happened that 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 seem to be something that hadn't been factored in. So yeah. there must have been a point where you've had to, for want of a better phrase, you know, dig deep to get past these new barriers that have been put in front of you so yeah. how much did it match what you ex- thought it might be you're 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 so right matt because again in theory treating this as a uh, as a or approaching it as a sports scientist yeah which is your background right yeah yeah that, that when i set off on june the first i'd accounted for everything that a sports scientist would account for right but again Going back to that stress and stimuli, it's not just about 12 hours swimming a day, not just looking at joint health, nutritional strategies, all of those things. It's st- things started to happen. So salt tongue, my tongue um, was basically starting to th- fall apart. That was quite early, wasn't it? Very early. That was like week two or something. <laughs> it was very early. Yeah. yeah, so you've now got to contend with that. Uh, swimming through the Humber uh, estuary. Um, that didn't look good. Mate, that wasn't water, no. was it? <laughs> it was as, not. That was a toilet. It was a house. It was definitely a toilet. So all of a sudden, my digestive system has got to deal with that. Yeah. You know, my immune system's got to cope with that. Um, wetsuit chafing. Now you've got open wounds that you're continually yeah. subjecting to salt Rhino water. Neck. That was the thing, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, that can turn into sea ulcers where it's going to get deeper and deeper and those wounds are going to basically get down to the bone. So... That stress and stimuli that I spoke about was actually, and that adaptation was was physically apparent when you could see, as you said, my, my rhino neck that everybody coined it on social media because, you know, it's now scarred and built up this scar tissue that it doesn't chafe anymore. Yeah. So... It, it was funny that that my neck became a visual representation of probably what was going on throughout the whole swim, and and all of those things you had to adapt to on the day, you yeah, know, and, and 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 over that week or month. And you seem to have no difficulty in that. Is that which is one of the things that gets very commented upon? I think with this, you know, whenever I look online, whenever I look at the YouTube comments, Instagram, whatever, people are always saying. Like what's impressive about Ross is is his positivity. It sounds like almost quite quite a crass thing to say, but like is is positivity, mm. how much he's coped with it, with a smile on his face, all that stuff. How much of that was? Are you internalizing a lot of that? Because I used, I, w- I would look at that and, and you know I've done sport to a certain level. I've certainly been in situations where I've had to make a decision if I was going to carry on or not yeah. because of physical. So I think we can all like identify with that, but nothing as severe as like, well, I'm two weeks into a round Britain <laughs> swim and, you know, and I'm worried about cuts to the bone. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those things, but you just seem to sort of crack on with it. Like, so is that, that's what's interesting. Like how much of that was, was that difficult? 
I I do, and 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 I and I I wanted to be so vocal about that because a lot of people were really kind, like you said, and saying, "Oh, you're amazing. You know, you're not human. You're built." And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. Like, I'm crying inside. Yeah. Like, and I wanted to be so honest about that. But when people said, "It's amazing. Have you not broke down and cried?" And I say no, but but please know that I'm not like saying that as saying like I'm I'm so brave I'd never cry. No, I would have cried if I'd have had time. But the reality was is Mother Nature just doesn't care. So I could have you know cried and gone, oh God, I feel really bad for myself. But that would have been an hour taken out of my sleep time or eating time, you know, because the tide's still going to change in six hours. Yeah, and that was what was very different that that the ocean doesn't care if you're your next chafing it doesn't care about pacing strategies we were just speaking about when you swam across the the Corryvecan yeah I approached the Corryvecan um having swum for uh I think that week it was tied on tied off so 12 hours a day um I got stung by a jellyfish so before the Corryvecan I remember I hadn't slept in two days because I was just getting stung by jellyfish so I'm <laughs> sleep deprived chafing but Corey Vecken doesn't care. You no. know, it's going to suck me into that whirlpool. I yeah. can't say I want I want to take a time out today. No. And it's the same with Kate Roth as well and, and John O'Groats around the top of Scotland. If we when we set the pace that we did and we halved the Land's End to John O'Groats record, everyone was like, oh, that's amazing. And I was like, it's not necessarily amazing. It's necessary because if we weren't around the top, we missed um, a huge storm coming into the west of Scotland by a week. If we were a week slower, so if I'd have taken like one day off a week leading up to there, we'd have been hit by a storm and we probably wouldn't be speaking you know, yeah. right now. I, th- I think me and Matt were saying the boat wouldn't have gone around Kate Roth. So we would have had to have probably sat there and said, maybe we have to call this. So right. the pace that we set and the fact that I didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't breaking down in tears. It wasn't because you know I'm necessarily made of anything different. It was just necessary. You know, you ha- you had to do it. Otherwise, it, you know, it wouldn't have been done. So. Yeah, I mean that's where the stress could come, though, isn't it? Because that is, you know, what you're saying is you had a very punitive deadline, basically that yeah. that wasn't going anywhere. You know, and if you were going to do it, you had to basically face that every day and yeah. crack on with it. So was that? Yeah. Did you have to learn along the way? Or or was it something that you kind of felt you were well equipped to deal with? Yeah, a little bit. And again, you know, to, to go back to the theory, and again, I'm going to try and keep this quite short. Um, oh, but far away. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're a general. This, 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 this is a geek fest, <laughs> okay. this thing. So, Don't worry um, about that. So when we were approaching this, for all the sports science, looking at sports psychology as well. So Tim Noakes, central governor theory, um, he came up with this this theory that fatigue is an emotionally driven state. So everybody listening, yeah, you you've, talked, you've talked about that on Insta. I read that. Yeah. Yeah, you did an episode about this, didn't you? Yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah. it. Just saying that, you know, fatigue is an emotionally driven state that our brain tells our body to pull the physiological handbrake. Yeah, which again, we can all, I, everyone listening to this can identify with that. Absolutely. You know, 60 miles into a marathon, yeah. you think you cannot put one leg in front of another. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when you get to the end, you know, at last mile, family and friends are there. They're all, you know, cheering you on. And all and of a sudden you, you sprint. Yeah, and it's like, you're twice on. as fast. Exactly. Yeah. What happened at 60 miles? You said you can go on. Again, fatigue, emotionally driven state, pulls that physiological handbrake. But when you can see the end, your brain feels, okay, homeostasis. So this self-preservation mechanism where your brain's saying, don't exert yourself too much to its body. Saying like, whoa, whoa, just like, let's pull the brake before you do any harm. Yeah. So that's inbuilt in all of us. And it's yeah. all relative because it can be, if you, if you've, if 10K is a lot to your run, then that 
self-preservation mechanism, you know, central governor theory might happen at 5K. If you're an experienced ultramarathon runner, it might happen later. But and, you, we, and, and you can change it, obviously, by experience, can't you? Exactly. You, can, you can shift it. Yeah. Exactly. And But my point, and, and I think what I loved is the Great British Swim, it no longer became about a swim because in in reality, everybody watching it was just like, you got stung by jellyfish all night and then you still have to get up and swim in the ice cold waters of Scotland. And it's like, yeah, because it's necessary. <laughs> and then yep. everyone goes, right, okay. And then they were sort of going, when I was on a rower and, you know, and I was like, and I set myself 10K on on an indoor rower and then my lungs were burning, lactic threshold, my arms. And, and I remembered, ah, central governor theory. Is this just an emotionally driven state to get me to pull the physiological handbrake or can I push on a little bit more? Yeah. And that's been one of the nicest things that people said. And I did, I pushed on and I realized I had another gear. Yeah. And I'm like, that's amazing. And so that's one of the best things that I would love that it was theory at the start. But now having looked back at the, the Great British Swim, I'm like, there were so many times where s- conventional sports science would say your tongue's hanging off, your neck is like absolutely hanging. Your your goggles don't fit your face anymore because you've been stung that many times by jellyfish. <laughs> your face is now swelled. You probably shouldn't swim today. But I convinced myself to, and at the end of that day, after 12 hours, we might have made like 25 miles. Yeah. And I'm like, but that was 25 miles. If I didn't do that, I'd still be back at Mullikintyre right now, you know. So it was it was all theory what I was so grateful for with the whole vlog series is it allowed us to to test it as well. Explore it. Yeah. So you, yeah. you obviously brought this physiological sports science angle to the whole project. I mean, that, that seemed clear from the start. And your background is sports science, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? tell me a bit about that. So what? Yeah, I mean, coming from Loughborough University, I was just so lucky because it was just this melting pot of, of you know, ideas and people. So I'd look across the gym and there'd be you know, Liam Tancock, 50 metre world record holder for backstroke. And then I'd look and, you know, just across the way, there'd be the shot that was being trained by Jeff Capes, two-time world's strongest man, you know. And, and it was this where I was just like, and, and that was really the concept behind um, the World's Fittest book that I published earlier in the year, that I was sitting there going, what would be amazing is if you had Liam Tancock to speak to Jeff Capes to talk about strength and stamina and then get Linford Christie to talk about speed. Like, what sort of an athlete would, like, that produce? And... Uh, and it was, again, all of these musings, again, all based at Loughborough because it is the kind of sporting hub of excellence that it is, that you just started exchanging the, these ideas. And I know you spoke to uh, Cotty as well. You've interviewed yeah. Cotty before. Yeah, yeah. Legend. And I mean, to to swim with him, he escorted me all the way around Land's End. And yeah, I was. Uh, what was funny about that is I was camping at Land's End <laughs> oh, when, you, when you boys did that. And oh. uh, we, we kind of sort of watched all that unfold a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, but he he's another one that when we were swimming, it got, it got really choppy. The waves started smashing into us and Cotty would just started to say, how do you approach these? And I was like, I'm kind of going over the top. I'll eat a few. And he's like, yeah, you kind of want to dip under. So Cotty was teaching me, you know, ways to swim in certain waves. And um, that was, again, outside of, of conventional swimming. And you almost yeah. needed an elite surfer like Cotty to just say... I'd approach it like this, Ross. Yeah. And so that again, Cotty, and that moment at Land's End is basically what I've been doing for years at Loughborough University, where you just you're just like a sponge and you right. can absorb. A silly question, but have you always been a swimmer? 
Well, well, I was ages ago, but I'm built like a hobbit. So, like, I mean, you're, you know, you're a lot taller. Yeah, and so everyone started to look like you, you know, when, and, and I was... The sort flippers. Of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and everyone was oh, like... I like shit. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't take advantage of these things. <laughs> but you're, so, so my coach was just like, Ross, you're built like a hobbit. Like, unless you grow another foot, like, you're not going to make it yeah. in the Olympic squad. And I was like, ah, oh, fine. So he said, but go and, you know, go and play water polo instead. So right. I did that. I played that internationally, which was, which was awesome. And actually, I owe a lot to water polo because there's been times where swimming in 40 knot uh, winds and because water polo, you're used to treading water and having a fight. It always, I was always quite comfortable like that. So that was actually one of the determining factors of whether I'd go and swim. I was always like to, to Matt, the captain, I feel fine in 40 knots of wind. And if you can stay in there and not swim, but like survive in 40 knots, yeah. you might make five miles. And that was five miles you didn't have, you know, that morning. So it's, uh, it's just really interesting. Again, taking inspiration from so many different sports. And, and like I said, cotty, water polo, swimming. Yeah. All was one of them. So where did the idea for this come from? <laughs> you, you did the thing in the Caribbean, right? That was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, for those who probably don't know listening, I, last year, exactly a year ago, actually, around right now, I attempted to swim. I, I probably need a bit of a background. So, very, very quickly, because um, this is going to sound so odd otherwise, basically, finished playing international sport, needed something to train for. A very good friend of mine, who's absolutely fine now, um, was diagnosed uh, with cancer at the time. Teenage cancer trusts were amazing. A lot of people don't know um, if you were a teenager and you're diagnosed with cancer, you're basically treated in the, the children's ward or the elderly ward. Um, but the Teenage Cancer Trust builds these these specially made wards for teenagers. So I, I saw that with, with my friend who, and I, I think it was amazing for his recovery. I wanted to do something. Um, and so I was like, look, I want to do something to raise money uh, for Teenage Cancer Trust. And someone was like, why don't you run a marathon? I was like, people have run marathons. People are like, run two. I was like, well, that's been done as well. And so someone said, run a marathon, pull in a car. And I was like, done. So <laughs> Silverstone... That's a bit of me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Silverstone heard about it and said, look, it's amazing. Here's the keys to Stowe Circuit. Let us know wow. what you've done. They were amazing. So I... Um, it took me, I think, 18 hours. Don't recommend it. It's not that like, It was very boring. Um, and yeah. so, like, I just want to get the details. So what, you, had a, you had a strap around your harness, waist. Yes, harness, yes. Strongman harness. Yeah, my friend. Like, 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 an, like a polar pulk yeah, man, man hauling vibe. <laughs> right. It's exactly with a, it. with a car. Exactly. My friend who was actually revising, he's, he's a doctor now and he passed his exams, fortunately, but he took all his revising stuff into the car and he steered when we got to a, <laughs> a corner and I made him diet as well for it as well. That so is, he was lean. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, no, he was, he put in some hours. So he was revising and stuff and we did it and it was amazing. We raised lots of money. It was amazing. And after Brilliant. that, I was just like, it's nice to use all of these theories and yeah, sports yeah. science for, for, for good. So Nevis, fast forward very quickly, Nevis, uh, a, an island of the Caribbean, wants to become the world's first carbon neutral island by 2020. And um, I was like, that's amazing. Like, why don't more people know about that? And um, and I, well, I don't know, but we have a triathlon. Maybe you can do something in the triathlon to raise awareness. And then someone said, carry a tree. And I went, triathlon, done. So, <laughs> so I, I did this triathlon carrying a tree. Got out and was in a good position after the swim. Like I'd overtaken a few people. Uh, it was awful on the bike and the run, awful. But in the swim, I was like, I'm not bad swimming with a tree. Um, and then uh, Kerry Ann Payne, double world champ. Yeah. Um, she was like, look, why don't you come to Martinique? Uh, why don't you come to St. Lucia and tow a tree to Martinique? Um, How far is that? 
so 40 kilometers right yeah so i tried um <laughs> emphasis on the word tried yeah uh currents and tides were so bad i ended up swimming over so it was 40 kilometers from point to point yeah i swam over 100 kilometers for 32 hours getting smashed like this and then again uh, with a harness where you're pulling this well not necessarily a harness this time because for those listening and interested it does just attach to your trunks <laughs> so I'm not recommending it, but like, yeah, yeah right. just attach your trunks. So I did that, and then I got out, and um, I didn't do it. You know, so everyone was like, "Oh, it was amazing! You swam over 100 kilometers like that," but I didn't touch beach to beach. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. In a roundabout way, I then came back. Was at the Royal no, this Marines. This is good because this is. I was really interested in, in where oh, this whole thing came from. <laughs> so I get this is the weird story of how it came out. Then with the Royal Marines, um, you know, they're amazing, and there's not many places where you can go and train for events like this. And then I, I rung them up. And I just said, you know, to my friend Ollie, and I just said, Ollie, I need, I need to just swim for 48 hours. And he goes, why? I, said, I just I need to get it out of my system. <laughs> I said, I didn't do Martinique St. Lucia. And he was like, all right, fine. The PTIs, uh, Benny, Matt, some of my friends there were legends. They all camped out on the side of the um, of the pool so we could all basically swim. Uh, I, so I could swim and they could look after me like a lifeguard. Um, so we did the... <laughs> what? Pod bomb. Pod bomb. Uh, been a few of them. <laughs> Um, so the Royal Marine PTIs were all uh, they basically camped on the side because you needed a lifeguard so they yeah. camped and they just they knew that I just had to get it out of my system right. and just swim 40 hours why, why, why did you have to get swimming for 40 hours out of your system where did that come from I just, well because I, I wanted I just wanted to see what I could do without currents and tides right. without a tree so you, so you had a bit you were, so when you did that when you had that experience you were a bit like oh, I could take this quite far yeah, kind of. Right. I, I trained all year for that Martinique swim. I did the Windermere swim and with a tree, and 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 I just felt it didn't end like it was meant to. Like right. when I was when I was in Martinique, I, I sort of sat there. My face was battered; it was swollen from the seawater. I was just like, "That's that's not how it was meant to end." Yeah, you know. And so I just had something to just more to myself, just to prove to myself. And so I did. I swam with the Royal Marines, like I said, and I did that on my own. And afterwards, you know, I think I swam 150 kilometers or something, and I just got out and was like. Thanks, guys. And then I, I just, <laughs> and they were like, no worries. And then I just went, went to bed. But it was, and so sorry, this, sorry, Matt, I've got no, around no, the house. Don't, don't worry. So, so then I was with the Royal Marines and I'm sitting there in the officer's mess and I'm with Ollie, uh, who you're probably going to meet tomorrow, actually. Right. He's, he's the one to blame for all of this. Right. And one of the, uh, the officers as well, they're like amazing, big mustache, huge guy. And they're sitting there and they just went, are you boy? And I was just like, you're right, guys. <laughs> and I had trench foot because I'd been swimming for so long. So I'm there nursing my trench foot in the officer's mess. And they went, you boy. And I was just like, right, guys, how are you? And they went, what are you doing? And I went, oh, I've just swum for 48 hours. <laughs> and they went, why'd you do that? I said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to train maybe to to set the, the world record for the world's longest current neutral swim. And they just, they sat there and looked at each other and they went, that sounds a bit lame. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, what do you propose I do then? <laughs> and they went, you just need to man up and swim around Great Britain. <laughs> right. And I was like, well, no, it does have a better ring to it, you know, and um and then it, it, once they'd said it, it stuck with me. And when I've got an idea, I'm just like, I, I just have to see it through. Right. So um, then that's why I'm speaking to you now. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's as weird as that. So how did you get involved with Matt then? Did you know Matt before? Because well, obviously Matt has been, you know, to, uh, to to flirt with understatement, a critical part of this whole thing. Oh, my God. I mean, he's the unsung hero, isn't he? This is it. And, and that's why it's so important to make him the sung hero. Of yeah. This because... Uh, you know, so often in all of my posts, I'll say, you know, we we swam around Great Britain. We're coming into Margate, and people are always like, "What do you mean?" And I'm just like, "It's so important that you realise 
this isn't an individual sport. It's yeah. called the Great British Swim, but it's far from a swim. And it's um, it, it, p- people didn't understand it at the time, but now through the vlog series, they understand that you can be the best swimmer in the world and you wouldn't make it around Great Britain if you didn't have a mat. Yeah. But and I, and again, I say a mat because it's. Not not every you don't just need a captain you need someone like him so I was I was speaking to a lot of people in the um, the sailing community the, the uh, ocean rowing community and I was like look this is what I want to do um, I need someone who's got like you know forty years of experience who knows the British coastline who who has a crew capable of doing six hours on six hours off for what could be over one hundred and fifty days you know and I basically put together this brief. And I was laughed at by most people. They were like, no one is going to take you up. And then the same name kept on coming up, right. which was Matt Knight. There's only one guy. Basically, and yeah. not just because of that, but with what he does in the surfing community as well. Yeah. So, and, and that's what's unique. What Matt does in, in sailing, but also working with Cotty and, yeah. and like going all over the world, chasing some of the most ridiculous waves. You know, that's his brief. Yeah. And it just so happens that his family are all you know, widely celebrated surfers, lifeguards, you know, born on on the sea as well. So it was really weird that when they said, look, you know, Matt Knight, you need to speak to him. I sent the most speculative email and was like, hi, uh, thinking of swimming around Great Britain. And uh, he just he just came back and was just like, that sounds like an awesome idea. No way, and, that's um, brilliant. Yeah, we caught up in Torquay and then over breakfast, um, we, we put together a bit of a plan, shook hands. And I said, right, June 1st. Right. Yeah. Because you can really see the camaraderie between um, between you guys as well. Like you can see that for that's really developed as well. Like as it's been going on, you know that you two have have kind of yeah the relationship's grown. It's been one of the great parts of the whole story. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the the teamwork and the and the way that the whole thing has come together. Yeah, I think there's been a. I was and I always said this when I started. I was so naive as to the the sort of the the sailing part of it you know right. i was just like you know physically me, i've done everything i can get me around britain <laughs> kind of yeah yeah and, and 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 matt similarly would sometimes just be like you know swim hard for six hours yeah and i'll just be like just go for it yeah he's like but you can swim like you know two knots 2.5 knots just swim hard for six hours because then that gets us you know over 12 miles and i'm like I haven't slept in a week. Like, you know, <laughs> like I've been stung by jellyfish. Like, you know, and so Matt started to understand sports science. Yeah. But equally, I have such a profound respect for um for you showing me your bicep then. <laughs> <laughs> but I had such a profound respect as well for um for sailing now. And and that's it's you know, it sounds cheesy, but just to be a student under Matt and just almost learn through osmosis just seeing what he does and and that's another thing as well that when people are like oh wow you know how far have you swum i'm like i've swum this and these many miles but you've got to understand every single mile night and day he was the one who was steering the boat in charge of the crew getting the rib out doing passage plans making sure that we hit tides land's end being a great example he in in the whole five months he's not got a single tide wrong but around land's end um a lot of the the local fishermen, everyone was saying, you've got to be really careful. You're only going to get two hours and you're going to have to come back out on land's end. He did it in such a way so we got 10-hour tide, right. that tidal race all the way around. Yeah, yeah. So again... Oh, his expertise has been really apparent. Like, it, it's, yeah. it's really come across, like, how much he's, well, helped to make it a success, really. Yeah. Oh, no, it, it wouldn't have happened without him. And, and that's why I say, not just a captain, it wouldn't have happened without Matt because you yeah. need somebody like him. I just... I just I can't stress, I don't think it can be done without any 
because no one else has his unique expertise. Yeah. So I just don't think it could be done without him. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really weird how a lot of stars have aligned. Right. It's like you need a captain who knows how to surf, who has a crew who's capable of surfing. You need a boat. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, you need, yeah. And you need the summer that we've had, no doubt, as well. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that, that must have also helped. I mean, one of the things I was really interested in was at the start you were like two months was that right you were you, you were planning for two was it uh three three months 100 days yeah. yeah three months yeah yeah and where did that come from did you just plan that out in mileage <laughs> plucked it out the air <laughs> no yeah in theory just kind of like wrote down on paper yeah needed a target to chase um and and yeah, that was it was a good target to chase. Wildly optimistic, crazily optimistic, but um, I think it had to be done because that's what got us around Cape Roth when we needed to and back down the other side. Even just now, two weeks ago, there was it was snowing and there was Arctic storms in Northumberland. If we were two months later, we'd have been caught in that. Yeah. Um, so you had that. So there was that sense of urgency built in, almost. Yeah. But but then also as well, and I have to acknowledge as well that. I, I, when I started it, I was treating this whole swim as a, as an athlete in many ways. In that I, it was a race to me. I was like, you know, a hundred days. That's what I'm going to do it in. And I was just solely concerned with the metrics. Yeah. Whereas along the way, and it sounds cheesy, but life happened. Birthdays. Yeah. You know, um, uh, Taz. It was his graduation. That's you know. Matt's son, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so things like this started to come up, and I just realised it's just like. You know, you can either have a race or an adventure. Which one do you want? But if you're going to have your face in the water and say, no one's allowed to celebrate birthdays, I'm not even going to have a birthday, you know, then it's just like, but what we've, what we've had instead is just an amazing adventure. Yeah. So it, it turned from a race, which I had originally, you know, as, a, as an athlete, wanted and set out to do. And it turned into an adventure, which was which has been quite nice. And I'm glad it had. Well, that's the next question, really. And again, it's a, a pretty obvious one. But how, how has it changed you? What have you noticed in ways that it's changed you? Because I, I think you can see you through the course of the, the programs, the, the, the vlogs. I think you can see you changing as it goes on. Like insofar as the way you're getting, getting to grips with the whole concept, getting to grips with the enormity of it, what it means, how you've had to change your approach. Yeah, I... I, I think it's still too early to tell, only because even yesterday's swim, um, we need to make eight, nine miles to get in. And I think there was a lot of people, when you look on the map, it's like, oh, you're almost done. But it was just like, no, no, no. It's just it's just another swim for me. And it was even crossing the Thames, um, you know, Arctic storms, dodging ships. Um, you know, we were swimming into 20 knots the other day. So it was, it was very much... Um, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, and, and this goes back to something the Royal Marines taught me when they were saying, you don't think about the outcome. Right. Um, just think about the process. So just yeah. putting one arm in front of the other as efficiently as possible. And that's all I've been doing. It's only now, even speaking to you, I I won't be content until I actually step foot on land. Yeah. I've still got, you know, two miles to swim tomorrow, which isn't a lot, but it's, it's two miles. The, the moment you don't respect the ocean. And so, so the, I, the point I'm trying to make is in terms of changing... I'm still very much in the process. Yeah, so so you, I haven't even given it any thought. Yeah. You know, but maybe I'll be able to digest this on land. But even now, I'm not really getting nostalgic and thinking, oh, maybe again, it's all scalable and all relative that midway through a marathon or a triathlon, you don't go, hmm, I wonder if this is changing me. You're going, I need to get to the finish line. Yeah. yeah. Afterwards, I'll, I'll digest it. I can have a protein shake with the yeah. guys, you know, have a cinnamon bun. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas right now, uh, it's too early to tell, I think. Yeah. yeah. You put an interesting quote up 
on Insta a couple of days ago is a Shakespeare quote. Um, oh, yeah. And your point was basically that, that it was about perception. Mm. What did you mean by that? Yeah, because a lot of people will say, uh, how do you like... So the question was, I was asked, do you like night swims or day swims? And... You ha- if you're going to swim around Great Britain, you have to do night swims. Yeah, that's the one, I guess, that's got that sort of primordial sort of thing for people, hasn't it? You know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, monsters yeah. of the deep, swimming in the sea yeah. at night. It's a scary thing for people. Yeah, it's exactly it. But um, the reality is, is when we were swimming through the day, especially in the Scottish waters, actually, there was a, there was a minky whale directly underneath me, sort of stalking me, um, <laughs> just sort of seeing if I was friendly or not. But the water was so clear that I was looking down and I was like... I know you're trying to hide, but I can see you. Like, you're right there. And the minky was kind of looking at me like this. But in that moment, I was like, wow, I've been probably been swimming over all sorts of stuff. Like, when, when it comes to the sea and the pecking order or the hierarchy, I'm very low down. Yeah. You know, if a minky wall wanted to breach, you know, basking sharks, although harmless, could come and just, you know, slap me with its tail. You know, yeah. there's loads of things. I'm really low down the pecking order. And so I think whether it's day or night... The, the fact that you feel safer in the day is probably only in your head. Yeah. You know, the reality is, is you're probably no more safe in the day or night. Um, and then also as well, it was just, uh, yeah, just trying to find, um, so it was the Martin Luther King quote as well, which was just like, in the darkness, you can only see the stars. And it was, there's been some amazing, just, you know, stars and, and, and sort of the settings of the moon and everything like that. And that's what's been really nice. And when you can start to get your head around that, you, you can yeah like you said it's, it's all perception yeah you know so you're no safer than you are in the day and you know there's there's equally as much beauty as there is in the nighttime as the daytime as cheesy as that sounds yeah, it's yeah. just kind of like yeah well i guess swimming 12 hours a day is going to give you ample opportunity <laughs> to to kind of like see the truth in that though really yeah i mean you know you at some point you must have to believe that yeah because if you just if you constantly lived in fear of a night swim or, or didn't want to do them or you know, we're getting stressed out. It's, it's just too long. You know, it's 150 days of you constantly dreading. Yeah. You know, so it's just like, you can't, you, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. You have to, again, you know, it sounds cheesy, but you have to be in the right mindset. I think especially with this self-imposed swimming solitary confinement, which you'll understand, you know, that when you're swimming you know, you can't hear anything, can't smell anything, you know, you can basically see things and think a lot. Yeah. And when you're doing that, if you go into a swim in a bad mood, it, it's just going to mull over and after six hours you're going to come out just fuming because you've just been like stewing in your own bad thoughts but equally if you go in in a good mood um you'll get out just thinking oh wow i've got a lot of clarity you know on that and i think that was one thing that it's so easy aberdeen i'll never forget it was the first day of autumn and i left my wetsuit out to dry and i had to just scrape off a very thin layer of ice before i actually <laughs> put it on and it was a night swim and it was just you know you could easily go oh but Aberdeen Fishing Harbour, where they, they let us in, they give these huge oil tankers, and we weren't really meant to be in there, but the harbour master was like, oh, yeah, I've been following you guys, come in. Very, very sweet of him. And at night, there was just these huge steel ships all lit up and kind of looked like fairy lights and stuff. Now, it could have been very easy to just be like, they've put us next to the fish dock, it smells of fish. <laughs> <laughs> There's oil in the water. But, but there was an element of like, when are you ever going to be say that you slept in the fish dock in Aberdeen? Because you're not allowed in. It's this yeah. huge industrial harbour. So it was a kind of a privilege. It was a real privilege. Same with the Mori Firth. 
I've never experienced darkness like in the Mori Firth because you are like 40 miles from land. So you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And it would be very easy to say, oh my God, this is, this is you know, miserable. I'm cold. You know, it's north of Scotland. Or equally, and like I quite often thought, I'm like, there's going to be a time when I'm, you know, 80 years old and I'm not going to be able to swim across the Murray Firth, you know, but I'll be able to, you know, get my grandkids, stick them on my lap and go, let me tell you a story about when I was in the Murray Firth, you know, and I thought this is a privilege. You know, it's, it's not a hardship. It's such a privilege. And uh, yeah, I think uh, so perception, basically. Yeah. 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 So what's the physical toll been? It's a question I've got to ask, really, because I'm sure that's probably the most common thing you get asked. But again, it's a, it's a fascinating thing for people. Yeah, I think, well, I, physically, it's what's been so great is I wanted to just test a lot of the theories within my book. And people were saying, you're going to come into Margate. You're going to look like Tom Hanks from Castaway. <laughs> you know, you're going to you're going to lose all your gains, you know, and all of these things that I had to hear. And I was like, hmm. One, I think that strength and stamina can coexist. There's a huge chapter on that in the book. Um, but also with all the nutritional strategies and everything, caring for your immune system and everything, I said, I think I'm going to arrive in Margate, granted a lot hairier <laughs> and looking a lot more feral, but I think I'll be fine. And I think that's going to be one of the best things is to walk up you know, on the beach of Margate and actually think, this, this is sustainable. I don't, I'm not going to because I told my girlfriend it would only take three months, so she's already angry at me. But <laughs> I was saying I could just tumble turn and do another lap. Like, I, ad- I actually feel okay. And, and again, that's not, I don't want to sound necessarily like, oh, you know, I'll do another lap. But it is like physically, I still feel fine. You know, but it's just, it's about time to go home because I don't want my Christmas dinner on the boat. <laughs> and what's been, is it, what, what was the hardest part of it? Is anything, I mean, these are like pretty stock questions, but again, I just want to ask them because like, yeah, yeah. I think, I think there is, there is something interested in, 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 you know, you have just swum around Britain. There must've been points when yeah, it was fucking hard. Yeah, no, I think the hardest part was, um, well, I remember it specifically Dunbar, Got some really bad family news and um, I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to be with the family and friends. Right. Um, but they knew how much I'd put into it to that point. And, um, you know, so my family basically made me promise that I could come home, but it needs to be via Margate. Um, so I was like, okay, fair enough. So it was then swimming from basically Dunbar to here, um, you know, knowing that I just wanted to go home. Yeah. You know, and, and so that's that was the hardest, yeah, that it was just like, again... Um, what we were just talking about that you know you're left alone with your own thoughts and uh what was weird is i was fully prepared to swim through you know chunks of my tongue falling off wetsuit (laughs) chafing you know all of these things swimming past nuclear power stations where the water tastes funny all of those things um but when something bad happens to someone you care about that's a little bit different and then you're you're then forced to stew on that for 12 hours a day so yeah that was the hardest thing that i never again thought would happen when you go back to looking at in theory that was certainly something i never accounted for so that was probably the the hardest thing yeah yeah Yeah. as any moments stand out you mentioned a couple what in terms of the bad ones no the good the good 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 ones yeah no so that's it for all of the hardship there's been so many privileges best one this is going to be hard to beat was bristol channel uh, we were crossing uh, from from basically yeah Lundy, um, so North Devon, Lundy Island, um, and then went across to Wales. And uh, there was a giant minke whale, 
that we think was a female minky whale that was basically breaching next to me. And then for the last five miles, it basically guided me all the way to Wales. I turned to Matt and I was like, well, what's going on? And Matt said, you know, I think she thinks that you're an injured seal because she was basically <laughs> guiding me to Wales. No way. And where the water got a little bit more shallow, you know, at Wales, the, the minky whale was kind of like, okay, you know, it's safe now and breached and then sort of turned around as if to go, there you On go. your way. Yeah, kind of. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, it was... Again, for those experiences with with the sea life, you just you have to be in the water for for twelve hours a day, and if you are, you'll be watched by minky whales, and I think they'll see. Oh, you know, I've been watching him for days. I could yeah. be, you could have been watching me for days, and just thinking it's not whatever it is, <laughs> it's not harmful. It's just trying to get to whales, and so I'm going to make myself known to the injured seal. And I think that was what was really nice. But you only get those experiences. Same with dolphins. Um, there was a point when I was trying to race dolphins. And I think they knew that I was trying to race them. I turned to Harry and I went, ready, I'm going to race. So I sprinted. And the dolphins just found it hilarious. They were basically like jumping <laughs> under me like this, cutting in front of me. One son straight at me and then the last minute turned. So they knew what I was doing. They were almost just laughing. And I can't believe you think you can race us. <laughs> you know, and, and that was what was really nice. But again, you'd only have those experiences you know, if, if you're going to spend that long in the water. So. Well, the word you, you've used a lot is privilege. Yeah. I think you've, you've you've said a lot through this whole thing, like, you know, it has been a privilege, like, seeing these things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, the sunrises as well, the sunsets, and it's just, it sounds really, like, you know, like, poetic, and but it, it, it really is. And I think um, it's, it's so easy to lose sight of that. Um, but you only need a few moments and this and hopefully any, anyone listening can take this away. You only need a few moments where you can just go, wow, I remember why I'm doing this now. You know, if you're halfway through or not your first Ironman, your first 10K run, it can be anything, you know, or if, do you know what, not even anything that extreme. If you get up on a Sunday morning and you go for like a, a, a run up on the local fell or mountain or hill near your house and you see the sunrise, you'll be like... Ah, uh, yeah, I remember why I got up at six o'clock this morning and put my shoes on and went for a run in the cold. You know, and then it's, you just need that one moment and you'll remember why you did it. Yeah. And 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 all I've done is done that for 150 days, but it's the same thing. And I think that's why the Great British Swimmers got this really nice community now online. Yeah. Because everyone just, they get it. All the, the lessons are the same. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to ask you because it, it has stood for something for people people are very very engaged with it aren't they mm. you know and, and people are seem to be interpreted in in their own way really do you know what that's what's been amazing that there's been so many sub stories yeah that, that have come off and one of my favorite ones actually was um when when i was you know becoming hairier and chubbier and you know and i sort of thought you know look you know one thing that i hope that people take away is you know make your body body an instrument not an ornament and I think that the sports community really got on board with that. And it was just like, you know, I joke with some of my friends like Sam Oldham, Nile Wilson, who were amazing gymnasts. And they just, they don't really train legs because you don't really need legs. You know, Joe Clark as well, amazing uh, kayak. And he's just like, I skip leg day all the time. You just don't need legs if you're in a, in a kayak. And, and so their bodies tell a story. And I think in the same way with this, when, you know, I was getting, you know, hairier to, to basically make sure that I had an armoured chin for the jellyfish. For the jellyfish, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was, I, was, I was putting on weight to make sure that I could cope with the cold up near Scotland. Um, I was I just said, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I can't wait to get back home. And if people say you've put on weight, you've lost weight, you've not trained your legs, you know, and, and all of these things in the fitness industry that was becoming very aesthetic based, it was quite nice to just say, look, if you are good at a sport or you have a hobby, you, whatever it is, surfing, windsurfing, whatever, it doesn't matter. And your body takes a certain shape as a byproduct of your passion brilliant you know you're an instrument you're not an ornament and that was one of the nicest things especially in the open water swimming community of a lot of amazing channel swimmers who were purposely putting on body fat to go and try and attack um the, the channel with with no wetsuit you know and they're saying do you know what i was i was feeling i got an amazing message and she was saying i was feeling a little bit bad about myself because i was putting on weight for the channel um and I was feeling a bit self-conscious, but after your post, I now sort of, and I was like, amazing. That's That's been one of the best sub messages of the swim that I never intended to when I set out. Right. It's been amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So another obvious question, but what, what do you do next? Well, yeah. So there's two things. One, I need to learn to walk again. Yeah. So like, I genuinely, <laughs> my, Jeff the physio came on board the other day and he gave Jeff's me some, got his work cut out. Oh yeah, honestly, <laughs> he, did, he does. And I was awful. I was falling over on the boat. He thought it was hilarious. Can, well, we can see your feet. They definitely look like. Can you see them? Yeah, no, they're they're not got, bad. That one's gone a bit purple. You yeah. See there. But it's also like I've lost the arch in my foot. My Achilles tendon is basically asleep. So they're almost like a little, like they feel like baby feet. They're just all soft and not yeah. out like. So I've got to, I've got to learn to walk again. Um, and then having said that, um, I think what's been brilliant about the Great British Swim is because it's renowned around the world, Great Britain, um, for its coastlines, unpredictable tides, weather. There's a lot of people in the sailing community that have just kind of gone. Basically, you can swim where boats can go. You know, and I was like, yeah, I suppose. So they're looking at like, you know, events where boats take place and saying you should just enter that race just in your, your goggles. You know, so that's been thrown around and stuff. And there's, I don't know, I'm just not bored of swimming yet, which sounds crazy. <laughs> that does sound pretty crazy. It sounds crazy. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty swimming fit, not very good on land, but yeah. I'm quite good at sea. Um, And I think it's opened up people's eyes. It's like, look, wow, if you can swim around Great Britain the same way, and I said this was one of the biggest inspirations for the whole Great British Swim. Captain Webb, 1875, you know, he said, I'm going to swim across the English Channel. Everyone was like, can't do it. Yeah. It's Breaststroke. Breaststroke. Breaststroke on beef broth Breaststroke and whiskey. It. Exactly. Exactly. That's the bit that gets me. He's unbelievable yeah. in like a woolen like yeah, wetsuit. Yeah. Head up. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And, and that is what I love. People have since more than halved Captain Webb's time across the channel. I think the current record is like six hours. It's amazing. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. It's absolutely ridiculous. But no one captured the imagination like Captain Webb. Yeah. It was amazing. And um, and I think, you know, after he did it, the same way Roger Bannister ran under a four-minute mile, again, a medical student at the time, and the leading physicians were saying, you can't run on A human cannot run under a four-minute mile. Your lungs will explode. Your legs will fall off. Things We don't know what's going to happen. It was blowing people's mind. And uh, Roger Bannister, a medical student at the time, laced up his trainers, ran a four-minute mile. And it wasn't until after he did it that everyone started to run under a four-minute mile. Jim Hines, uh, first under 10 seconds for 100 metres. Yeah. You know, now you've got Usain Bolt like crushing that. But at the time, it was like, whoa, we can run under 10 seconds. Humans can run under 10 seconds. Well, the marathon. Kipchoge, yeah. right? Exactly. I mean, what did he knock off it? It's like Some thir thirty odd seconds. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And he was—he looked fresh after yeah. he finished because <laughs> he did the Nike Sub Two project. Yeah, didn't he? yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the, and that, that was what was really interesting because I read a piece about that where they said that they think that doing that obviously that wasn't official because yeah. he had like constant pacemakers, yeah. didn't he? Like a controlled track. Yeah. But he did like two hours, like thirty seconds or something. Like yeah. he, he did—he came really close yeah. on that one, and they said that because it, again. 
after that he thought, well, maybe it is possible. Yeah. You know. But even, I mean, Mo Farah recently, where did he win? It was a 205, I think he ran. Yeah. And that's only in his first year of marathon. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean, I think Mo Farah's got years in. When you look at him as an athlete as well, running those shorter distances, lactic threshold, like VO2, he's like prime. If he gets his nutritional strategies and pacing strategies down, which Kipchoge's had for so long, you're kind of sitting there going, I, I think Mo Farah could do something amazing. You know, so it, it, you're right. And I think when somebody runs under a two-hour marathon, everyone's going to go, what? Like, it's going to blow everyone's mind. And um, in a much, much smaller way, you know, I think that is when people say what's next, I'm like, I've loved that this Great British Swim has opened people's eyes as to what humans can do in the water, you know. And and, and I think it would be nice to continue, you know, that theme Um as, as my way of doing a smaller version of, you know, Kipchoge, you know, Heinz, Bannister and Webb. You know, that would be really cool. So, yeah. That's a great point to end on, Ross. Oh, thank you. Thank I've you, en- man. I've enjoyed it. You brought me pastries. Yeah, this yeah. Been cinnamon the best buns. <laughs> cinnamon buns. Yeah. Uh, it was a real so pleasure, much. man. Thank, thank you. you. So there you go. That was me and Ross Edgeley. And what a man, eh? Had such a brilliant time on board Hecate with everybody just want to say a big thanks to everybody especially Matt Knight for being so accommodating there was a really nice moment actually at the end of the interview as uh, as Matt was taking me and photographer Owen back to shore on the rib now if you recall during our chat Ross is effusive in his praise of Matt Knight saying it wouldn't have been possible without his set of skills and the funny thing was Matt said exactly the same thing about Ross to me and Owen that only somebody with his temperament and positivity could have had a hope of pulling it off and how he'd pulled the whole crew through during the uh, the darkest of moments. Like I say, the spirit of camaraderie between this crew was was really tangible and it was, uh, yeah, it was proper privilege to witness it firsthand, however briefly. And that spirit continued the next morning when I joined 300 other swimmers half a mile out to sea as Ross approached to swim his final mile. That moment when he swam over to join the swim flotilla, as he termed it, was really special. Um, and I felt really privileged to be part of that. So yeah, great do all around really. Before the swim, I had a chat with a friend of mine, Kate Rue, who runs the Outdoor Swimming Society. And we agreed that Ross's swim was a really big moment for the open water swimming community. Now, as somebody who swims between the piers of Brighton most days and has done plenty of events over the years, as you might have gathered from my conversation with Ross, I do count myself as a member of that community. And it has been brilliant to see Ross becoming such a visible ambassador over the last few months. Kate, incidentally, is somebody I've been trying to get on the show for a while. I'm a huge admirer of her work. So yeah, hopefully can make that happen soon. If you're listening, Kate, that was a blatant pitch. So uh, let's see if we can get it going. Anyway, if you want to hear more from Ross, he's getting the full rich roll treatment, I believe. So if you want to hear that one, they're usually about two hours. Rich gets proper into it, as I'm sure you know if you've if you've listened to his podcast. So yeah, have a listen for that one. So what else has been going on? Well, I said it on Instagram, but an absolutely massive response to my interview with Todd Richards. Not that I was surprised, to be honest, but yeah, huge thanks to everybody for listening and getting in touch about that one. The most common bit of feedback was, does Terrier get a right to reply? And yes, let's just say I'm working on that one. Elsewhere, I did record a tantalizing bonus episode about the recent shenanigans at Factory Media with one of the main players involved. But sadly, I'm not going to be able to release that one for legal reasons, I'm afraid to say. A shame, as it really did shed some light on some of the more nefarious goings on in the action sports industry. Happy to say that Factory Media does now seem to be in safe hands with some good people back involved and titles like my old acquaintance, White Lines, safe for another few years. 
elsewhere in Housekeeping Corner. I've mentioned it a few times, I think, over the weeks, but my interview on the Rather Good We Move magazine, Movers and Mavericks podcast, is now out there for your listening pleasure. I was really honoured to be asked to appear on that show. So if you're one of the people who has been in touch suggesting I interview myself for this show, well, look no further. You can find that on Apple Podcasts under Movers and Mavericks. So go and check it out. Okay, that's it. Normal service will be resumed with part two of the Hossagor Omnibus next week. In the meantime, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And yeah, catch you later. Nice one. <laughs>